Well, good morning. I'm a little raspy and hoping that I don't totally lose my voice by the end of this service, so I appreciate your grace and your prayers during this moment. But my name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of Family and Adults here at Hope Chapel. For the last five weeks, we've been talking about relationships. And if you're in a life group or an accountability group, you've had the opportunity to probably talk some lively discussions about how to apply these principles to some very difficult relationships. We've talked about the importance of relationships and how we need to work hard on maintaining them. It's very easy for us to toss out a relationship when it's not working rather than working on it. We could treat relationships like a a dirty paper plate where we just throw it in the trash and get another one rather than seeing it as a piece of chinaware where we have to take care of it and wash it and, and maintain it. God has designed us for relationships. And those relationships get messy because of sin. Our own sin and our own desires clashing with another person's sin and their desires. And so it sometimes challenges us to see how, uh, what motivates us in our relationships. It challenges us to set aside our own personal desires for a long-term return. We've talked about how to love like God loves, how to serve out of humility, how to deal with difficult people by remembering the grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love that God has shown us as sinners. And those are opportunities for us to be stretched in our faith. We don't like those opportunities. To deal with difficult people stretching our faith is hard. We've talked about how to take care of ourselves and to spend time with God, being refreshed and renewed because, honestly, people can suck the life right out of you. And if you're in the Bible reading devotional plan that we have, you've read how there are people that we need to avoid, people who are negative and can bring us down. Sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where we feel like we can pull people up. But even the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that bad company corrupts good character. They are going to pull you down. So you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to know that there's, sometimes there are people that you have to avoid, even if you're going the extra mile. And so today we're going to talk about a very difficult relationship to master, and that's marriage. Even if you're not married, I want you to pay close attention to the principles that we're talking about today because you've got to figure out how to make these principles work in your relationships in your life. I've been married to my wife for 19 and a half years. We'll celebrate 20 years next year. And marriage is the laboratory for all of relationships. You have to figure out how to do humility, how to do mercy, how to do grace, how to do forgiveness, how to not keep a record of wrongs. You've got to figure out how to do that on a daily basis or it's going to tear you up. You've got to figure out what love really means. Love puts up with all things. Love hopes all things. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love will cover up a multitude of dumb things that you're going to be doing. Love is going to cover up a multitude of dumb things they're going to be doing. And you've got to figure out how to make that work. Sometimes you listen to stories that you don't always find interesting. Can we be honest and real? Sometimes you find out that your jokes aren't that funny. There we go. Being married is like running a small company. You've got to manage finances, create schedules, And if you've got kids, you've got to make negotiations with the labor union. (laughs) Also, at the end of the day or the end of the week, you have a little bit of leftover energy, a little bit of leftover attention to give to the person who thought you were pretty good looking, 
about 30 pounds ago and before they knew all about your annoying behaviors, right? That's marriage. And it's no wonder that many marriages can't make it to year 10. It's why so many young people aren't even getting married at all. They've seen marriage, what it does to people, and it hasn't been a pretty sight. Perhaps there's a misconception on the purpose of marriage, or maybe they have some false expectations on marriage. I heard a counselor one time with this premarital couple have them write down on a piece of paper the things that they hoped marriage would be like. What do you envision marriage? And they wrote down a bunch of things. Then he took that paper, wadded it up in a ball, had them light it on fire, and throw it in the trash can. Because marriage has a way of shattering your expectations. But marriage also has a way of going beyond your expectations. Marriage is God's design. In the beginning of Genesis, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, it says, if a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Jesus says, have you not read in the beginning, God created male and female, and the two shall become one. He was showing the importance of marriage between one man, one woman for a lifetime. Paul says that each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. He also says that if God has given you the gift of singleness, then hold on to that because he has spared you with the trouble of marriage. (laughs) It's true. It's in the Bible. But ultimately, marriage is a wonderful gift from God. And it's not a relationship that's meant to be taken lightly. It's a covenant of companionship. It's a picture of faithfulness among difficulties. It's a picture of love among wrongdoings. It's the playground of friendship, intimacy, and pleasure. It's the field of self-sacrifice and putting aside your own desires. It's the picture of Christ and the church. And so we need to understand why and how God has designed marriage. So if you would, turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, the first book in the Bible. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, this is on page 2. Page 2, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. We're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures today. We're going to be flipping back and forth because I've got one message to talk about marriage. So we're going to try to pile it all in here, all right? Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. Or your versions may say a helper who is suitable to him or is fits him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found who was like him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one Flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. So God said it was not good for man to be alone. He created a helper 
to be his complement or to be like him. The word means a helper who is in front of him or opposite of him. The imagery is that God was creating someone so that when they came together, they fit perfectly like a piece of a puzzle. Sometimes they are complete opposites, not wrong, but opposite, so that they would fit completely together, not only physically, but I believe emotionally and how they process thoughts and and so on. They were completely different, but that's how God designed it for them to be male and female so that they would fit together. That's how God designed things, and that's how marriage was before the fall in Genesis chapter 3. There were differences before the fall. I think that's important to know. We also need to understand what this word helper means. For some generation, it meant that the woman was created to serve the man, to do whatever the man commanded. I think that has turned out to be some unbiblical and, and, and ungodly turns on the roles between a husband and a wife. Sometimes we get so caught up in this, the wife is supposed to and the husband is supposed to. Someone in the first service says, can you tell my wife that her role is to make the coffee? And I said, well, in the New Testament, it's Hebrews. That's a good one. That's a good one. So... But I don't want us to get caught up on these roles. What is the husband supposed to do? What is the wife supposed to do? We could talk about being a complementarian or a egalitarian. Are are the roles different? Uh, Or are the roles supposed to be shared 50-50? I'm not going to get into that this morning because I think we, we miss some of the greater purposes of marriage when we focus so much on those things. In the Old Testament, Ezra means the Lord helps. He was there to help rebuild a city that was decimated and destroyed. In the Old Testament, the word helper is most commonly used for God. God comes in and helps his people when they could not defend against an enemy by themselves. The psalmist says, the Lord is the one who helps. And so this word expresses the idea of an indispensable companion. An indispensable companion. Husbands, you need your wife. Wives, you need your husband. Not simply so he can pick things up and put things down for you. Not simply for so he can fix the brakes on the car. They are meant to be a helper, to help us in an area of weakness and helplessness. They're there for each other to help us fix the broken areas in our past, to patch up our present character and an attitude, and to cultivate our future impact for eternity. So don't get so tripped up on who's supposed to work, who's supposed to make dinner, who's supposed to do the dishes. There's something greater for marriage in this idea of what a helper is supposed to be. So this morning I want to look at three ways that your spouse is to be a help. And if you're single, I still want you to think about these principles. How are you making sure that these things happen in your life as well? All right. The first one is your spouse is a help against the enemy. Your spouse is a help against the enemy. And I want you to write next to that, your spouse is not your enemy. You may have to put their name in there. They are not my enemy. Your spouse is to help you against the enemy, but they are not the enemy. And I want to look at why we think our spouse is the enemy. Before the fall, 
during creation, God said, let us make man in, in our image. He created male and female, and they were to rule over the birds and the fish and the livestock and all these kind of things. And they were naked and felt no shame. There was this deep connection between the two. They, they, they worked together. They, they were uh, obeying God and everything that they were doing. But in Genesis chapter 3, something dramatically changes everything. The serpent squeezes in and deceives Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, she gives it, eats, eats it, gives it to her husband. He eats it, and their eyes are immediately open, and they recognize what they have been done was wrong in disobedience to God. They then run and hide. They make coverings for themselves physically, not just to cover up their physical nakedness, but I think to cover up their spiritual nakedness. They no longer look at the other person and says, oh, you know what I did, and I know what you did. But I want us to look at chapter 3 and verse 16, because God comes in and he says, what have you done? And then he gives them some punishments or curses because of their disobedience. And I want to look at particularly in verse 16 of chapter 3. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. This is something that happened as a punishment, as a curse of the fall. This is not how God designed it. He says, woman, you are going to to have your desire for your husband. You're going to want to be the husband. You want to take over leadership in the household. And the husband will perhaps be passive for a while, but eventually he'll take control of his leadership and he'll rule over you. He'll dominate over you. And this is what's been happening in marriage since Adam and Eve, this power struggle. That's why you think your spouse is the enemy, because the wife is trying to take over leadership of the home, and eventually the man will rule over her. There's little respect for the husband's leadership. There's little love and compassion and understanding from the husband towards his wife. That's the sin nature of humanity. Sometimes the husband will then feel like he's undermined, unappreciated, disrespected, just like a servant around the house or like a roommate. Sometimes the wife will feel that she's overlooked, unappreciated, just a maid or a servant or a piece of meat to her man. It's no wonder that marriages are failing because they're living out of that sin nature. Our nature is bent to make this relationship very difficult. But that's not how God originally designed it, and God has been set out to fix it through Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we see that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything has been changed, including what was broken in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament, close towards the end. Ephesians chapter 5, if you're using one of the Bibles in your chairs, this is on page 996. Paul says that we are children of light. Something has changed within us. Because of Jesus Christ. So we need to walk as children of light. How we live out our relationships should be different than how the world works out relationships. Our marriages should be different than how they live out their marriages. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, also as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now the church submits to Christ 
So wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just also as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So you can see how Christ was changing what was wrong in Genesis chapter 3. There is an order, a role to a husband and a wife within marriage. The two shall become one. That was God's intent. When you see Satan showing up, he's trying to take the one and separate it and make it two. Do you notice how Satan came in and deceived Eve, speaking lies to her, giving doubt to God's good command? What would have happened if Adam stood up and took his leadership position and told Satan to get away and stop telling my wife lies? Or what if she would have gone to her husband and without making the decision allowed him to take leadership? I want us to think about that. Satan is out to divide you. He's speaking lies to the wife. He's speaking lies to the husband. You need to have conversations about what Satan is lying to you about as a couple. What is he saying to you that are his lies? What is he saying to you that's causing us to try to divide? Because he's the enemy. You're not the enemy. How is he making us two and when we're supposed to be one? And that's Satan and that's his deceitful and deceptive ways. That's our sinful nature to, to disobey God. But we have to help one another combat Satan and combat his ways. Your spouse is to be a helper against the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy, it's Satan. Two, your spouse is to be a help in staying pure. Your spouse is to be a help in staying pure. I want us to look at another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm just going to go backwards just a little bit. This is on page 973 in the Bibles that you're using in the chairs. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's a lot of things going on in here in this passage. I encourage you to study it on your own. We're just going to look at the first few verses. Verse 1. About the things you wrote, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. But because of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but, does, but her husband does. Equally, a husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a short time to devote yourself to prayer, then to come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control." 
So Paul's writing to the church here about some issue that they had brought up. Maybe there was some dialogue going back and forth. All we know is that the church said, Paul, are you saying that it's not good for a man to have relationships with a woman? And he's like, I need to clarify that, all right? Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. But that's because we can't control our own sexual desires. So get married. It's, rather, it's good to get married rather than burn with desire. See, sex is designed to occur within marriage. Sex outside of marriage is called fornication, sexual immorality. So marriage is like the permission slip, the hall pass to fulfill your sexual desires. Your spouse is the only one that can help you with that. You're the only one that can help your spouse with that. You're the only one that can help them stay sexually pure. And that's why Paul says you need to be active in fulfilling your marriage duties except for a time when you're going away to retreat, to pray, and to fast. But don't make it too long. Come back together so that Satan, remember he's the enemy, he's going, he wants to speak lies. And the more you're separated, the more you're giving him an opportunity to speak those lies. You've got to come back together. Fulfill each other's desires. Paul's saying we've got to be consistent in this area as a married couple. Consistent. Now, of course, if you ask the husband, he's going to have a different definition than the wife on what it means to be consistent. You've got to figure that out as a married couple. Right? You've got to figure that out. The thing is that your body is not your body. Husbands, your body belongs to the wife. Wives, your body belongs to the husband. So I can't give myself out to somebody else sexually because it's not my body to give. It's my wife's. My wife can't give her body out to someone else sexually because it's not her body to give. It's mine. She controls my body. I control hers. It's this kind of weird circle of reasoning. How does this work? You mean she controls my body and she makes my body do what she wants? Yes, so I have control of her body, and I can control her body to do what I want. Yes. Sometimes that doesn't match up. We know. <laughs> but it's like your spouse has a remote control for you, for your body, and you have a con- remote control for her body. So sometimes you're pushing forward on your remote of her, and she's pushing backwards on her remote of you. Sometimes she changes the channel of her remote of you so that you would watch This Is Us or Downtown Abbey. (laughs) Sometimes you're changing the channel on your remote of her so that she would watch Spartacus or Fast and Furious, right? So you just got to figure out how to make that work. You've got to sometimes make sure that she's getting what she wants and he's getting what he wants. But marriage isn't only about keeping us sexually pure. It's about being pure all the way through. If you remember back in the Ephesians chapter 5 verse, it was about husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church who was washing her with the word, presenting her to be holy and blameless. The husband is to love his wife like he loves his own body, who provides and cares for your own body. Some of us men may need to care for our bodies a little bit more. We've added a few pounds. And maybe it's an indication of how not only we've allowed ourselves to go, but we've allowed our marriages to go. Just think about that one. We have a duty as lovers of our wives to make sure that they are being sanctified by God's word. 
As men, we're the ones to be leading the charge and making sure our families are going to church, we're involved in a life group, we're being active in our own personal Bible study. Paul writes to this young preacher, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says that I desire men in all places to pray, to lift up their hands to God, to be free from anger and controversy. Paul says, I wish that all men would pray, lift up their hands to God, would be free from anger, free from controversy. I think this is the heartbeat of every Christian woman. I didn't hear any too many amens, but that was your opportunity to say, hey, men, we desire, wives, don't you desire for your husbands to be someone who prays, someone who lifts up their hands in worship, someone who is free from anger, who is free from argument. That was another opportunity. Amen. I gave you another chance. You didn't go with it. Guys, I know this is very hard for us to lead in this area. God knows and my wife knows that it's hard for me to lead in this area as well. We don't like to be incompetent. We don't like to show an area of weakness. And so here we are. We, we don't even know what the Bible says. And, and then we're going to lead our family in, in Scripture. We don't even know how to pray. And, and, and how can I pray to someone who knows that I'm not doing a very good job at being a Christian husband. I fail in being a Christian. And then I'm supposed to go and pray with her? How can I go and pray with her when she knows that I just lashed out at the kids? When, when she knows that I'm not giving her 100% of her attention that she needs? I know that it's very difficult, but that's our responsibility to help wash her. And we have to start with ourselves. We have to know what God's word says. We have to be active in prayer. We have to practice out humility and patience and kindness and mercy. And wives, know that you can be a help in this by offering us grace and mercy in this area. It's hard for us to do this. And we need you to be supportive, to be on our side, to help us, to help you stay pure helping us stay pure. Well, last, your spouse is a helper in keeping eternity in focus. Your spouse is a help in keeping eternity in focus. I want us to look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, jump towards the end in verse 32. I want us to look at 32 through 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, page 973. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, because of what is proper, so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Our primary purpose is to serve the Lord. And when you're married, your attention gets divided away from that. 
You get tied up in schedules and routines and things have to be done. Someone's got to go to the grocery store. Someone's got to watch the kids. You're tied up in the things of the world, how you can please your husband, how you can please your wife. And we're not serving the Lord as much as we are called to. And so that's why Paul would say, if you're single and you have given this gift from God for singleness, stay single so that you can devote your life to God. But neither Paul or Peter or even Jesus, for that matter, would say that we shouldn't get divorced for the reason so that we can dedicate more of our time to God. If you're married, stay married. In fact, if you're married to an unbeliever, you have more of a mission to keep your eyes on eternity to where you could make an eternal difference when you live out a godly way like a husband or a wife is called to do that we've been talking about. You don't know how it's going to work out. You could save your husband or your wife based upon how you live out this being a husband and being a wife. I want us to flip over one more time to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Getting towards the end of the Bible. If you get all the way to the end, you're too far. 1 Peter chapter 3, using the Bible in the chairs is on page 1029. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their lives, wives live, whether they observe your pure and reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things, like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart, which with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Paul's saying we need to have an eternal focus in our marriage so that even if our partner is an unbeliever, they may be able to see God's love through how you live out being a husband or a wife. Don't live out your marriage like the rest of the world lives out of Genesis chapter 3, but live out your marriage with how Christ is restoring the marriage. And the way you live that out could win them over to the Lord. We don't know how that will work. But even if they don't, you're doing it in God's eyes. You're doing it for God. And that's who we're supposed to be serving ultimately anyways. In verse 7, he talks about the husbands are to love their wives in an understanding way as as the weaker or or fragile is a better term in my opinion. And as someone who is a co-heir in the inheritance in heaven. Your spouse is just like you if you have a Christian husband or wife and that you both have an inheritance in heaven. And so if you thought dealing with her father-in-law was a challenge, 
try dealing with her heavenly father. And that's why it says in verse 7, if you mess this up, your prayers are going to be hindered, buddy. I'm not listening to you and you're not going to be listening and have an understanding heart to your wife. So how we live this out helps us to, to focus on eternity more than just focusing what happens here on earth. We need to be concerned about the eternal rewards for our spouse more than our immediate desires. Francis and Lisa Chan in their book, You and Me Forever, says that most people focus on the first 10 years of marriage and the last 10 years of their life rather than in the first 10 million years in eternity. We get so caught up in what's going on right now and what needs to happen that we forget about eternity. We're not helping our spouse think eternity, helping them work on eternal rewards. And that's what Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can turn back there. I'm not going to do it right now. But just listen to his words in verse 29. I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. He's not saying, I want you to divorce, but he's saying, I want you to have this mindset that maybe you aren't as married, you're not focusing on those things. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as those who did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. Our time is limited here on earth. What are you doing on earth for eternity's sake? Heaven's going to soon replace earth. And Jesus says in Matthew 22, surprise, surprise, people aren't even going to get married in heaven. So then we can ask, well, what good is marriage? Is it better to be married or is it better to be single? Well, Paul says that if you're single and God has given you the gift to be single, be single. So you could focus on eternity and you could focus on the things that God wants you to do. But if you're married, stay married. Focus on how you can serve your wife, how you can serve your husband, and how you can come together to be as one to focus on how you can do things in eternity. You need each other to be a help against the enemy. You need each other to help each other stay pure. You need each other so that you can keep eternity in focus. Now, if you're single or you're a young person, I want to challenge you. Who are you putting in your life, an accountability partner, a group of friends that can also do these same things in the sense of that they're being a help against the enemy? Satan isn't just speaking to married people. He's speaking to single people. And who in your life can help you hold you accountable against the evil one? Who in your life are are, are making sure that you're staying pure sexually and otherwise? Who in your life is making sure that you are keeping your eyes on eternity? That you're not so tied up and and, 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 and consumed on what's happening in, in your life in this world, but what can happen in eternity? Who in your life is making sure that you are eternally focused? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for you designing this relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. 
And God, we know that you designed it beautifully for two people to perfectly fit together, to be a help to one another. But God, we also know that that design was ruined and bent through sin. God, we know that Satan is active in taking a marriage that is to be one and trying to separate it. God, we also know that through Christ there is a new hope, a new life, a new opportunity to live it out how you designed it. And God, that is not easy. Not easy for a wife to submit to her husband. It's not easy for a husband to love his wife like Christ left the church. And so we need help in this area. I got to pray specifically for those who are married this morning that, God, you would heal their marriage if it's broken or you would strengthen it if it's already strong. Got to pray for those who are single. They also have the tough challenge of figuring out how to stay away from enemy and the enemy's lies, how to stay pure, and how to make sure that their eyes are eternally focused. Got to pray for them that they would be able to put someone in their life that they could challenge one another in, in these same areas. God, we love you, and we thank you that you're a part of our lives and helping us make this happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the worship team is going to come up. This is our opportunity as the offering place to go around, to give as God has been leading this week. It's also an opportunity for you to put in your connection cards, your, your prayer cards within those. And... Um, Really encourage you to sign up for the marriage conference that's happening on Saturday. I've got to order the food tomorrow, so I hope you're coming.